Hey everyone, this is actually our last scratch of 2022 and we have a bit of a special episode for you. So last week we hosted our very first Zag Out, our rival community challenger marketer meetup. We did this in London. We had some amazing people uh, come hang out with us, spend some time with us, and we actually recorded a live episode of Scratch at the event and that is what we're sharing with you today. So it's myself, Jenna and Dubose, we are the three co-founders of Rival. We're talking about three of our top challenger marketing trends of 2022 and some of the brands that really embodied them uh, and have showed them off and have helped to drive growth of their business based on these trends. We talk about how they tap into culture, how they're purpose-led, and how they build community around their brands. I think you're really going to enjoy this one and the conversation that we had. It's also, it's also pretty entertaining, I have to say so myself. So please enjoy. Have a great break, a great holiday. If you're celebrating, really looking forward to connecting with you in 2023. We've also got more events lined up for 2023. So do make sure that you're signed up for Zag. You can do that from our website, wearerival.com, to be in the know about all the things that we have planned for next year. Enjoy and speak to you soon. It's an interesting one when we talk about collabs, because I think, yeah, from what we saw in NFTs before all of them went to the value of kind of dirt, there is that idea that, you know, collaboration was part of NFT culture. The idea of bringing different people in, bigging up the community as a whole, pooling innovation, pooling creation. And I think it's what you're seeing from brands nowadays. I think cultural relevance is a very hard thing to create on your own. Cultural relevance is a very easy thing or easier thing to create when you pull together with other people to make your footprint larger. And I think that that is something we can take away from Crocs and NFTs, despite the fact that Crocs are the NFTs of shoes. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains, rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. So I think everyone here knows us, but as way of introduction, I'm Eric, this is Dubose and Jenna. We're the three co-founders of Rival. We're the reason that you all had to come out tonight. Uh, I did not think that we knew this many people, actually. <laughs> I did not think that we would have this many people show up. So thank you, for, um, thank you for coming, and thank you for supporting us in our first year as a business. We said that we wouldn't make this a Rival birthday party. And it's not really a Rival birthday party, and Jenna was adamant that nobody can sing happy birthday. But we did just pass our one-year milestone. And it's been, thank you. Uh, it's been really fucking hard. It is really hard to start a company. It's really hard to start a company. Like, there's no but. There's no, like, and. I just want to let that sit because personally, I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough. And it's okay that it's hard. It's a feature, not a bug. What we're trying to do and what a lot of other startups are trying to do is something really special. Try to build a company, try to build something out of nothing. And it's still very early in terms of the journey for us, and we still have very big plans and very big ambitions. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But I think where we've gotten to and certainly where we plan on going is in large part thanks to you all, our community, our rival friends and family, as we call you. So thank you for coming out. And this is as much a celebration of you all and what you've done uh, as it is celebrating our first year a little bit. So with that, we're not going to keep everybody standing and away from the food and the bar for too long. But we did have to do some content because that's what we do. We do, we do podcasts, and I guess we do other things, but we're going to do a quick podcast for you. And it's going to be about some of the uh, trends, some of the key trends that we've seen 
with challenger brands over the course of this year. So we're gonna talk about three trends. We're gonna quickly introduce how we think about challenger brands. So there's a quick overview on our business. So we started the company a year ago. The core of the business is essentially a management consulting firm fo focused on marketing. So we do strategy, capability building, brands, go to market, org design, things like that to help businesses change the category. That's kind of why we exist. We want to enable any business to be able to change their category, to be able to think and act like a challenger brand. Um, DuBose is going to talk a little bit about the difference between a brand, a challenger brand, and what we're calling a rival brand. And then we're going to get into the show and talking about a couple of the trends, and then we've got a special announcement uh, towards the end. And then we'll let everybody get to the food and back to the bar. Amazing. Well, it's so great to see everyone's faces. Slightly happy, slightly wondering how long this is going to go for. Uh, I apologize, we'll be very quick. Uh, generally, uh, as some of you may have heard the spiel before, uh, you know, we kind of believe there's a level beyond challenger brands, which are the ones that have scaled to the point where they aren't as sexy as and exciting anymore. They're not just kind of the new news. They're actually changing the market. They're changing the category. Those are the ones that haven't just had the press release in the beginning. They're the ones that actually start to change behavior at scale. And that's the thing that really excites us. Not just kind of a brand having a point of difference in the market and challenging it, but actually delivering impact to, to shift and change uh, the way people buy, the way, pe way people think, and the way people consume. So a lot of what we'll be talking about tonight is just the, the things that start to, to shape rival brands. So it'll be a great three hours. Just settle in. <laughs> it's lovely. All right, let's get into it. So we've got three trends that we're going to talk about. I'm going to give a quick intro, talk about a couple of the brands that we've seen this year actually portraying these traits, and then DuBose and Jenna are going to do their thing, which is basically say super smart stuff. DuBose has also uh, promised to work a Simpsons reference into every answer that he gives, so you all need to hold him accountable to that, please. All right, uh, theme or trend number one, building cultural relevance. So building a brand people care about has to do with what you offer, both functionally and emotionally as a brand, but also the cultural context around your brand and within the lives of the consumer audience you're trying to reach. Uh, a brand, so if anybody's in the rival AMP group, which if you're not, let me know, and I'm happy to add you. It's a WhatsApp group of like very close friends and family of rival, and we have a bit of banter slash trash talking about challenger brands in there. Uh, the one that I think is really interesting uh, that's happening, and I'm just trying to see if I can point to any here, Crocs. Yes, Jihan, I am getting you a pair of Rival pink Crocs. So, Crocs has been around for a while, but actually, we've been looking at their share of search recently, and they're starting to grow. And so what, part of what's powering that is they've done a ton of collaborations. So they opened a virtual holiday store. We're not a huge fan of Metaverse activations. We actually have a virtual swear jar. Every time you say Metaverse, you got to put a dollar in it. But they did it. They also launched a partnership with Saweetie. They did a collaboration with General Mills for a cinnamon toast Crocs and even made an appearance in front of the King of England. So, as they say, Crocs are hot, are hot right now. And it has had an impact on their business as well, everything that they're doing. Their stock has risen 110% over the last five months. Dubose, what do you think about Crocs and their ability to drive cultural relevance? I think it's funny that you looked around to see if anyone was wearing Crocs in December in London. 
Uh, but generally, I, I think there, there are two different conversations here. Actually, that, that kind of looks like a crock on the ceiling. I think oh, that counts. I'm going to count no, that. Nothing looks like a no. crock that's ever been on a ceiling. Uh, but generally, I, I think there's two interesting arguments that, that to be made here. There is the idea of cultural relevance, trying to stake out a larger claim of a consumer's mind than you, you normally can get through just straight product innovation. And I think Crocs is doing that well, right? Like Cinnamon Toast Crocs definitely kind of earns its keep as good copywriting, even if the shoe is basically a Tiva with some plastic melted on top of it. But I think, you know, as far as the idea of how, how far you can take it, I think, you know, it's an interesting one when we talked about collabs, because I think, yeah, from what we saw in NFTs before all of them went to the value of kind of dirt, there is that idea that, you know, collaboration was part of NFT culture. The idea of bringing different people in, bigging up the community as a whole, pooling innovation, pooling creation. And I think it's what you're seeing from brands nowadays. I think cultural relevance is a very hard thing to create on your own. Cultural relevance is a very easy thing or easier thing to create when you pull together with other people to make your footprint larger. And I think that that is something we can take away from Crocs and NFTs, despite the fact that Crocs are the NFTs of shoes. <laughs> well played. I'm not sure I got a Simpsons reference in there, but... It's we'll more of a Shelbyville you can do two, idea. You can but... do two on the next answer. Jenna, Crocs, yay or nay? Uh, I think that the NFT that Crocs are the NFTs of shoes is a better analogy because I think that Crocs also is going to like crater in value in six months when people are over the ugly footwear trend. Like I'm really glad that like Yeezys and Adidas like opened this door for like what is on your feet? It looks like garbage. It looks like literal garbage on your feet. And I think that the like the main relevance is being driven by uh, people love to hate on stuff. Like you can be very relevant when people like hate what you're doing. Um, that's kind of a, you know, nothing unites people more than a common enemy and a common like, oh God, really? Are you really wearing that? Like, uh, love to judge it. I'm not a brand strategist, so, and I'm not a Gen Z. I'm wearing fucking red wing shoes. What the fuck do I know about it? But oh my God, they're hideous and I hate them. All right. So you got two, you got two shorts on Crocs. I'm going long on Crocs. We'll see if it pays off for them. Let's but look at another But what brands. time horizon? Given an infinite amount of time, everything succeeds. Given an infinite amount of time, ugly will always no come back into fashion. Criteria. There's no official criteria. Okay, there. okay. All right, moving on to another brand. So EOS, which is uh, Evolution of Smooth. So they are a beauty consumer packaged good brand. Uh, we know the CMO, a woman named Soyoung Kang, very well. Um, and she's a very impressive CMO. We had her on the podcast earlier this year to talk about some of... They've done a bunch of different cultural activations. And one of them that was actually amazing is they collaborated with a TikTok influencer within their culturally relevant space. They built an activation basically based on this woman did a you know, inappropriate type of video about one of their products. And they actually jumped on the trend. They sent her a custom product just for her. And that collab drove a 2,500% increase in sales of that one product. I know your thoughts on TikTok. Jenna, so why don't we start with you on this one? I, I know your thoughts on like TikTok as an ad product. No, I'm gonna skip the TikTok thing. I'm not gonna All go right, to TikTok rants. No bait. TikTok okay. rants. We'll leave those for other. I'm pretty sure half events. the people here came for the TikTok rants. So That's you're fine. Gonna give the you're gonna be you disappointed. They're gonna be disappointed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move it. I really am enjoying. I will say the trend of brands like leaning into like the natural evolution of like going with like the weird cultural trends again. Like about like leaning into like brands using words like coochie. I think was that what they used yeah. in this collab? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, like, in 10 years when Gen Z is, like, the primary income-earning audience that people are really going after, they're going to be like, yeet, son, and it's, like, all this, like, Gen Z speak. I'm really into that as, like, the next evolution of brands just talking in the most 
ridiculous way possible that I think that like as all trends are pendulums, uh, again, we'll go all the way to the end of like, yeah, evolution of smooth talking about coochies and yeeting as we tried to explain to Dubose's English wife very unsuccessfully as to what yeeting is <laughs> recently. She uses yeet as a noun. Yes. So yeah. it's, it's been a thing. I, yeah, still, yeah. I still don't know what that means. That's fine. You don't have to. It's a Gen Z thing. Um, and so like, I don't know. I'm honestly kind of really into that as like a, that brands are just going to get so absurd and divorced from reality and like the language that they use that doesn't really signify anything. I'm into this. Two thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say that builds on that? I, I think I'm disappointed. This is two products. I assume there's no direct kind of experience with that you're championing Crocs and... Skincare, but I, I, I think, you know, the, the thing coochie I Coochie skincare? Like, Are you saying Eric is not experienced with coochie skincare? I don't Fair. want to judge. Reasonable. Who knows? Reasonable. But I, I'd say, you know, the yeah. interesting thing here is I think when we talk about culture, they, there is the idea that people are going to take your brand into places that are pretty uncomfortable, right? Especially on things like TikTok. I imagine I would love to be there for the first board meeting when someone's like, we found this thing on TikTok. And you're like, what is it? And someone's like, oh, it involves coochies. And someone's like, oh, is that like yeet? I just learned that last week. So I think there is an idea that at a certain point, like it, you kind of either have to go with it or you have to kind of be very, very scared. And I think you know, the, the move that brand planning is going in, the move that marketing is going in is uh, fine. We're going to be uncomfortable, but uncomfortable with that. And then comfortable with being uncomfortable at some point. So I think there's, there's an interesting thing there that I think this kind of shows is just you know, modern marketing working the way it should. Like the Radio Shack Twitter. The Radio Shack oh, that Twitter. That is oh, too much, though. No. Okay, you guys should go follow the Radio Shack there's Twitter. There's no way that's actually growing their business. Uh, who cares? It's absolutely well, hilarious. Isn't that the whole point? Isn't any marketing? The Burger King ads, the, the Burger King ads about the moldy whopper that won all those awards uh, didn't necessarily drive their business. I don't know. Oh, like, shocker! A marketing award that wasn't focused on efficiency or yeah. effectiveness. Who's ranting? Who's ranting about things now? But wait, wait. The, the, the moldy whopper is different than when Radio Shack became the Twitter feed of the alt right for about a month and no, a half. No, but I so. just mean that it's the it's the evolution. It's the evolution of brands trying to adopt the vernacular and drive cultural relevance of generation that the way that Gen Z and certain millennials talk is that, you know, Radio Shack and these things are just the Wendy's Twitter doing clapbacks on steroids. I like these are the next steps of these things for cultural relevance. I like how you're subtly uh, selling the rival scrunchie yeah. to people. Yeah. Well, I knocked well my done. Well done. Of it. No, um, it came out. So, it so, wasn't a secure so scrunchie. So we had a client at one point when we were in the agency We've had several world. clients at one we, point. Yeah, we probably had a couple. But we had one who may or may not be in this room, and he used to say, and I actually use this all the time, I want to see at least one idea in every pitch that's going to make me feel uncomfortable. And I think that's more of what needs to happen. I think in order to do something that's interesting, that's differentiated, that stands out, you probably need to feel a little bit uncomfortable. There's, there's good uncomfortable, and there's bad uncomfortable, like Radio Shack. He was the only client that said that <laughs> twice, though. I think all the other clients, that was a one-time request. He tends, he tends to repeat himself, but it works, you know? All right, um, Let's move on. So three key takeaways from this section. I think actually four, because one of them is if you're not a little bit uncomfortable with what you're doing in your marketing, in particular your cultural marketing, you're probably not pushing things far enough. But three key takeaways that we had written down. Understand the drivers of culture within your audience. Find ways to contribute to them in valuable ways and make it a habit, not a hack. So actually one of the things that's so young, the CMO of AO, AO said, is she uses kind of a 70-20-10 framework with her team. So she makes sure that at least 10% of the budget and the team's time is going towards crazy ideas like this that might not work or will create something huge. All right. Uh, we're doing purpose. Is the second one right? Yeah, purpose. Okay, great. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot that's how that works. We didn't just wear these, so we looked like a poor man's version we know, of the Backstreet like, Boys. So. We, we like to say... This the is what way, happens the when way you order we do podcasts, on Wish. <laughs> the, way, the way we like to do podcasts is, like, have a conversation... Have a conversation, and there just happens to be a mic there, but I guess maybe I'm taking that a little bit too far. Okay. Uh, being purpose-driven. So consumers increasingly want brands to take a stand and contribute to positive change in the world, but only if they can actually back it up. They need to walk the walk, not talk the talk. So I'm quoting a report from Edelman, the trust barometer that I think they put out every year. 81% of people expect brands to do the right thing, but not all purpose is created equal. Everybody wants to save money and then the world is kind of our point of view on it. So Dubose, I'm going to let you talk about this a little bit because we published a piece of research over the summer about purpose. So why don't you talk a little bit about our point of view on purpose, and then we'll get into a couple brands that are doing this well. Well, you know, Eric, purpose is a bit like a mule with a spinning wheel. Uh, no one knows how they got it, and damned if they knows how to use it. Uh, but generally, that, that's from the monorail episode of The Simpsons, for anyone who missed it. But uh, generally, I, I think the thing we kind of found with this, and, and like you can't go to a marketing meetup without someone talking about the metaverse and about purpose. So now we've checked those two boxes, and we've become real boys. But I think one of the things that's interesting here is really, yeah, at the end of the day, I think, especially in an economic downturn, especially with economic uncertainty, I think it's going to really mature the conversation around purpose in the next year. I think there's a pragmatism to it that has to come through. It's interesting. Uh, I think Les Binet at Adam and Eve uh, was putting some research out in the last few weeks where they were they were talking about the idea that you know previously, I think his, his partner Peter Field put out some stuff where he was talking about brands that had tried to attach themselves to purpose were actually less effective in the long term. I don't think that's because doing good means people buy you less. I think it's more the idea that doing good is then an excuse for incredibly lazy marketing a lot of the time because good intentions tend to excuse kind of scrutiny. And I think there's an interesting point with this and in, in what we found with our research, which is like doing good requires more scrutiny at the end of the day. I think we had a client who uh, rightfully said once a purpose isn't on the balance sheet, then it's not believable. And I think there's a point to where doing good and then making good profit off of it should be the goal. But that's two things you've got to contend with, not one. And I think at the end of the day, we've tended to underestimate the difficulty of which to do it. And I think that's one of the things that struck us over the last year. And I think one of the things that a lot more people are going to be talking about over the next kind of six months to a year. And I really liked what you wrote in the report where you talk about brand purpose comes as a value multiplier not a value creator. So it's unable to override the more basic economic consideration factors that drive purchase, but helping to drive choice once the price is held consistent between products is part of the decision set. So let's look at a couple of brands that are doing this well. So the first is Starface. Starface, Starface is a fast-growing challenger brand in the acne treatment personal care space. I'm just thinking of Spaceballs. I'm just you know, thinking of Spaceballs where, that's brand. Where I'm pretty sure it was in, yeah. My references are a little bit older than yours, it seems like. All right. Spaceballs was a movie from the 80s. Thanks, Joy Fatone. No worries. The interesting thing about Starface isn't just the brand and product. It's the conversation and cultural shift that they're looking to drive. So Starface wants to promote, quote, acne positivity. They want to change the perception that people in society in general have about acne. Sure, it's not exactly saving the world, but it's claiming and owning authentic, sharp point of difference in their industry. They raised... Um, a few million dollars a couple years ago led by Boston Consulting Group, and they've kind of taken off from there. You want to elaborate on either Starface or brands that are kind of doing this thing? They're not trying to save the world, but they're claiming and owning an authentic purpose that's relevant to the profit of their business. Well, I think it's funny, right? This is the only time I will ever quote PJ over work, uh, non-ironically. But I think there was a thing where you kind of said everyone wants to save the world, no one wants to do the dishes. 
And I think it's down to the idea that at a certain point, there, there are things that you don't have to have the most grandiose of purpose to just be a better brand, to just stay ahead of the moral curve. And I think there's a real challenge that as marketers, we get a real pressure that the world's on fire, right? Like everyone does want to go, I'm going to change something. I'm going to deliver a giant impact. But all you really need to do is just be better than everyone else within your sector. Deliver a small change. If everyone does a little bit of something, then actually we're going to get a way bigger impact than if a large amount of brands try to make very, very big moves, which are very risky with low probabilities of success. And then you're just building consumer cynicism when they peel back and those things don't actually have substance behind them. I think you know nihilism within consumers on a lot of causes is a much bigger concern now than actual engagement with those causes. We've crossed through the idea of, is climate change real, to the idea of, can we do anything about it? And I think there are a lot of causes that are going that way. And a lot of marketers with the best of intentions who have gone too big or not authentic and aren't actually contributing to the discourse or the conversation. So when you see stuff like that, I think a lot of people tend to go, oh, that's a bit small. Is that something we should really celebrate? And you're like, yes, not being evil and doing small, valuable things should be as celebrated as giant things because a lot of the time they're just as difficult because the small things aren't going to gather people around a boardroom table to talk about them or fund them. Jenna, maybe you could also talk about the sheep incorporated or sheep included, whatever. The oh brand yeah, is sheep included. Wearing. Yeah, yeah, sheep included. If when you buy one of their things, you get a little code. You get to follow the sheep that made your sweater. So that's really fun. Uh, Do they only sell them in Brooklyn? <laughs> no, they're a New Zealand company. I bought that. They're, I think, you know, I think they. Is the sheep really disgruntled? No, they they have happy sheep. They have happy sheep. Not right after it's shorn. I imagine it's like. I, don't you feel nice after you get a haircut and then you kind of move your head around and there's not so much weight and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm like a bobblehead. Like, don't you have that experience when you lose the weight of your? So brand's purpose. Brand purpose. Anyways, I was gonna say Dubo's really unbroke the ice with that subtle. Can we do anything about climate change? They just slipped into that conversation. So let me talk about Chewy and how delightful it is that Chewy leans into the fact that people love their pets. That seems like an appropriate segue yeah I, I do really like the like the purpose thing again when it fits with the it fits with again like the character of the brand chewy is one of the other ones that does really well with purpose around like i think that they've done so much better than like other pet brands like PetSmart or petco like in the united states i can't believe that chewy was the first like brand to lean into you know who people really love their dogs maybe we should really work that into our marketing because we serve as dogs and they do a lot of things for a category that otherwise suffers from very little brand loyalty where it's like if you say, oh, my dog didn't like this toy, they want to know what your dog does like and they'll surprise and delight you with toys that he might like a little bit better. I guess on the topic of other sad things like climate change, if your dog dies and you tell them that your dog died, they'll give you a refund for the food and those types of things. And those are like relatively small customer service expenditures that probably, again, from a customer loyalty and a commercial perspective, make a ton of business sense for them. Uh, and like I said, I just think that's a really great example of, again, purpose being core to their values that, again, also sort of actually is like a nice, fun, surprise and delight sort of thing. I wish like more brands, yeah, like Starface, like I think that they were the first brand to lean into like, oh my gosh, like what if we just made like the little like acne patches like look a little bit nicer? Nobody figured out before these guys in the year of our Lord 2020 that maybe if we put some colors and shapes that people wouldn't be so sad about the blemishes on their face. Like what a revelation. Congratulations to them. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, key takeaways from this section. So in, in the report that DuBose wrote and that we published, you talk about this brand action model, which is kind of like summing up what we talked about. You need to start with responsibility. What's the responsibility that you can own as your business? Then move into purpose, but have it be tied to the balance sheet to actually how you generate profit. 
And then you can move into activism, the kind of realms of the Patagonias of this world that everybody likes to talk about. Uh, aiming to outperform the moral average, so really, really inspiring. Uh, just try to not be as bad as everybody else. A good purpose doesn't fix a bad product, but a good product makes a stronger purpose. And then this is probably my favorite. Get cape, wear cape, work up to flying. Exactly. Get cape, wear cape, jump too soon. I thought that we all that learned from The Incredibles, no capes. Or no capes. Yeah, Edna mode, no capes. All right, last theme. We're getting there. Almost food time, almost bar time. Um, Technically, it's food and bar time while we're doing this, by the way. We need to buy more time, I think. <laughs> and swag time. Swag time is coming as well. Creating a community. So we live in a world of increasing openness when it comes to brands and content. Brands, especially challenger brands, are moving from the traditional storyteller dynamic, where communities exist to consume branded content, to a facilitator dynamic, where brands can create communities and spaces around shared values of interest. Academic research has further shown the power of community, finding that when consumers feel they are part of a branded community, it increases their brand love as well as word of mouth and loyalty. So the first brand that we're looking at, we actually published um, the newsletter about this, I think only a couple weeks ago, uh, Cortez. So they are a high-end challenger streetwear brand out of the UK. They're executing much of the tried and true challenger brand, being purpose-led, authentic, differentiating themselves. But they're also really creating a very... Um, active, engaged community around their brands and their products. So if you go to their website, you actually can't buy any of the product. You can't even get there. It's password gated. You need to have a password to even get on their .com. And they don't have a store. They do surprise pop-ups, which get kind of talked about within the community. And that's the only way that you can know where they're actually going to happen. So... Cortez, Dubose, what are they? What are they doing well? What else do you have to say about them? Well, I, I think it's interesting. That we've covered Cortez and Crocs, so we've hit both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> I think if you put those two things together, one explodes. But I, I think there's an interesting thing with Cortez in the idea that, like a lot of what we've talked about this year, and a lot of what we've seen from trends are, are the idea that you know a lot of the time brands are renting an audience. At the end of the day, they're not giving enough value for people to stay long enough and to see a bit of their story and then wander off. And I think more and more when we see what was happening with kind of brands going on places like Discord, brands attempting to do something with the metaverse, but in general, more community building in general, what you start to find is if you can build something that people want to spend time with, if you can build a platform and a power dynamic where it's not just everyone watching you, but instead you've given other people a platform to enhance their own lives, tell their story, uh, bathe in kind of the same benefit, then what you really get is, is a space where you have a true community. I think for years in, in marketing, we've been convinced by Facebook and others that community was a, a fan page on Facebook or an Instagram page. And that's not a community, that's an audience most of the time. That's the idea that you're pushing something out to someone. So I think when you see brands like Cortez, what you see is when you can build something that's incredibly valuable and not overnight, like in a way that actually has substance behind it, you can ask people to do some crazy things. Like some of the jacket swaps they did, those things are insane. But I think that's the power of community. And I think you know, that's where you really, as a brand manager, as a marketer, have to go, what can I add beyond just telling a story? What can I give to other people where they can do something that's exciting, interesting? How can I create that space? In 10 years, we'll talk about it in the metaverse. Now, it's much more likely that it's a, a jacket swap in Shepherd's Bush that got pushed on uh, Twitter an hour before. Sounds like you've been there. I have not. <laughs> no, I don't. Like, it's cold. and. Jackets are plentiful in other places. Jenna, do you have thoughts on Cortez, or should we move on to our next challenger brand that I'm very passionate about? I don't about? want to talk about pickleball. Oh, I don't want pickleball. To about pickleball. Pickleball oh, no. is probably my favorite challenger brand right now, besides Rival, of course. 
All right, pickleball. It's a combination between tennis and badminton. Yeah. No one has ever asked for that combination. Uh, they didn't ask for it. It's the, it's the Henry Ford. You know, if you ask people what they want, they say a faster horse. This is the automobile of the sports world. A few months ago on, <laughs> on our podcast, so our, our ex-boss and the current boss of some people here, a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, bought a pickleball team. And now we actually know the person who is apparently the general manager of that pickleball team. And uh, it seems that he has kind of started a trend. So LeBron James has now bought a pickleball team. Uh, I think that Drew Brees bought a pickleball team, and its fans include Bill Gates, Kevin Durant, and the Kardashians. Pickleball expects to have 40 million players by 2030. So this is a sport, but that can be a brand. The brand of this sport is a challenger and is growing like a challenger against some of these other sports that are kind of on the decline, like baseball in America and a bunch of others. So, uh, Jenna, I know you love talking about pickleball. And are we not going to sponsor a pickleball team? We talked about that last night, didn't we? I don't know. Flat earthers are also a community, you know, of like people <laughs> with like... Are you really comparing pickleball players to... I think the pickleball players just left. They just uh, yeah, I don't... I, like, sometimes communities aren't good things. No, I don't know. That's not really what I mean. No, I, it's, I shouldn't, I shouldn't poo-poo other sports. It's fine. It's just a weird... There's a big... There's drama in New York about pickleball players, like, taking over like tennis courts in New York. It's like a weird Brooklyn thing. I don't know. It's very, it was like when Quidditch was taking over too many spots in Prospect Park. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck with Quidditch that. never really caught on as a challenger brand in the sports world though. I think pickleball has more legs. Eh, well, I thought that about FTX too and that had a bunch of celebrity endorsements and what happened there? You know what I mean? I don't know. I think the, the finer point here is at a certain point you can be really different from everything else that's out there, but are you actually a valuable thing to have? And I think at the end of the day, pickleball is somewhere between what is it? Uh, what's the beach version of racquetball? People buy, play once, and leave somewhere on the beach. And say, paddleball. It's like paddleball and Quidditch had a child. And I think until <laughs> until people are happy to go say I'm a pickleball player and not in the I don't own a TV style of conversation, I think you know it's going to be a real challenge. So. <laughs> All right. it, it's the worst sports idea since the isotopes nearly moved to Albuquerque. Communities are good. They are important for your data practices. I really care about them. I just think pickleball stupid. All right. So quick takeaways to wrap this up. One, plan for collaboration with your community, not just recall by your community. Scale through partnerships to so other businesses or organizations that have this audience in this community already. And then learn about your audience and adapt. That's all we got. We got through all of it. I counted, what, two or three Simpsons references? It's not bad. Just three. Yeah, you also owe at least $3 to the Metaverse swear jar. But I'll collect on that later. Given the current conversion rate, that could be anywhere between one and five pounds. Yes. <laughs> How much in Bitcoin? Oh, man. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> all right. Um, so we're going to let everybody get back to the networking. There's going to be more food coming out. There's going to be more drinks. At the back of this room, we have a table of rival merchandise. You saw some of it on display here today. Uh, we are partnering with Breaking Barriers, which is a charity that I'm very passionate about and have done what I can to try to help out over the last couple of years. They are a refugee charity, so they help refugees find employment in the UK. And so um, we have suggested donation amounts for the swag, but please give what you can. And all of that is going to go to Breaking Barriers, and we're going to match it. We're going to match it. And yeah. the production of so, more scrunchies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we let you all go, last thing, we have a little announcement to make that we're very excited about. So I'm going to let DuBose talk about what it is. But when we started the business, we've always talked about starting as a consulting business. 
but with the vision of enabling any business to change their category to grow like a challenger. We always saw technology and product as a way to scale that vision much further than we could with just consulting. So today is actually a very big day because... Indeed. So, uh, A, thanks everyone for the support for the last year, and more importantly, thanks for all the support in the last 30 minutes, listening while we've been filming this. But to Eric's point, the last thing we'd like to say is, you know, we're incredibly excited to say, actually, we're launching our first software product. So, it is called Curo. Uh, it will be out imminently. Please go to the website to, to find out more about it. But generally, just to give you a quick overview, we're incredibly excited about some of the work that's been done in the space on share of search in the last few years as a predictor for market share. So we've taken uh, some of the academic research that's there and worked that into a tool for marketers to understand market dynamics, share of search for pretty much any brand in any market on earth uh, on week by week. So whereas normally people would have to wait for things like retail depletion reports or to tie together uh, market share in certain sectors, that's all now done dynamically. We're incredibly excited about its potential and, and where it can go as well. So you know, uh, some of the versions that will be coming soon are using such buzzy terms as machine learning to start clustering together the different terms associated with a brand so we can understand what associations drive market share uplifts or declines, as well as what's trending on the internet and uh, what brands are loosely associated with that to understand the impact of PR on market share. So uh, we're incredibly excited. We've been working on it for quite some time, and we can't wait for all of you to see it. So And identify new challenger brands in a category like Crocs. This is how we found Crocs. I deleted Crocs from the database while we were talking. But uh, <laughs> other than that, there's lots of other brands that we'll be talking about with that. So please uh, you know, have a glance, see what you think, and we'd love to get everyone's feedback as it launches. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.